If you know anybody who needs to start a business, but they're just dragging their heels or they, they stay in ideation mode, but never actually take action, today's podcast, is you're going to want to send it to them. Because I interview Ellen Bennett, who wrote a book called Dream First, Details Later. And she lit a fire, in, in my imagination, about the importance of just moving. If you want to know how an entrepreneur thinks, just listen to this interview. Kula Ellen Bennett has an apron company. And, uh, well, she'll tell the whole story. She's got a Her multi-million dollar. legit. They are. I bought some. I, I mean, after the interview, I literally went on and I bought some. I bought, They're so good looking. I bought them for Betsy. I'm going to give them to her for Mother's Day. Hopefully this comes out after Mother's Day or else you just ruin the surprise. Yeah. I put it on Instagram. We haven't talked about it on the podcast. Betsy's having a baby on June 23rd. I can't Betsy wait. and I That's are correct, having a baby because this is my baby. It is. And we're doing that on June 20th. We're going to do that on June 23rd. <laughs> I've, I've opened up my calendar. People. Oh, totally. We can't do that in the morning, though. We've got a thing. But in the afternoon, we're going to have the baby on June 23rd. I've let the doctors know. And uh, we know it's a little girl. And so, so I bought a a apron for Betsy. And then I bought a like an apron for a four-year-old. So it's going to hang in the pantry for a little. So Although precious. we could have a big baby. We don't know. She could get big quick. But, we're, but there's a baby. There's an apron there for the baby. And uh, it's going to be fun to just hang it there. And they're really cute. they got little flowers on them. And then I bought a man apron. Because you're a serious chef these days. I'm working on it. I'm working on my side gig. The, the thing is with, uh, with Ellen is that she is, she is 100% passion. If you want to know how an entrepreneur thinks, just listen to this interview. That's so good. Well, she also talks about putting your inner warrior, not warrior, like a warrior pose in yoga, but worrier on silent and just leaping into action. I feel like one of the reasons people don't take action yeah. is just they're just worried. Will this make money? Will I be able to pay my bills? What will people think of me? I don't have a college degree. I'm not worth it. This woman is fearless. That's so good. Ellen Bennett is fearless. And uh, she started a, a, a brand called Headley and Bennett. And she makes aprons. She makes T-shirts. She makes stuff to wear in the kitchen. She signed all of these massive commercial deals with Martha Stewart, with all these award-winning Michelin star restaurants, because she worked at a Michelin star restaurant. Well, in LA, if you go into any one of their many fine dining, delicious restaurants, They're most of the Ellen's. chefs are wearing Ellen's aprons. Mine's going to be here soon, and so I'm going to see if it affects my cooking. I think. I mean, it will. looking good is half the battle. Looking good, feeling good, cooking good. That's Let's why they say go, that. That's Don, where that comes I from. I love that. <laughs> love all right, here's that. my conversation with Ellen Bennett, who I I'm crazy about. She's just so cool. Here we go. Ellen, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. I, you know, reading your story, it just it, it made me realize there's so much I don't know about your story because you go from working in a kitchen to having a multi-million dollar, I mean, what would you call it? A cooking uh, fashion store? A, a kitchen fashion brand? What, what is it? Yeah, I know. It's really morphed into so many things. It's, we call it an apron and kitchen gear brand. It, they're beautiful. If you've not, is it headleyandbennett.com or where do we go? That's right. Headleyandbennett.com. Yep. And people should not think, oh, aprons and assume no. they're grandma's aprons. That's just not the situation here. Well, no, I'm going to grab some of your t-shirts. You have cool looking oh, yeah. t-shirts. The t-shirts are legit and they're super sturdy. They're like a classic Carhartt t-shirt yeah. mixed with a little bit of James Purse, like a little softer. Yeah, 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 yeah. You also wrote a book called Dream First, 
Details later. Sounds like a manifesto of a creative person. <laughs> it's true. I've been doing it for so long that when I started writing the book, I was like, how am I going to summarize something that's been such a deep part of me for all the years? Years And Dream First Details Later, I think, was it in a nutshell. Take us all the way back to those early days in the kitchen. Uh, how did you get started in kitchen culture and and then how did that turn you into an entrepreneur with a clothing brand? Because the two are very intimately linked. I know. So it, it really began because I, I hated our uniforms while I was cooking professionally. I used to work at a restaurant called Providence here in LA. So two Michelin star restaurant. Wow. And I also worked for another chef, Joseph Centeno, in a much more fast casual type restaurant. Like imagine at one, you're doing two to 300 covers a night. And at the two Michelin star restaurant, you're doing a hundred. But it's hundred like covers nine. is what? Covers is people? Covers is one person going into the restaurant and sitting down. It's a meal, call it a cover. But at the fine dining one, it's nine to 12 courses. Yeah. So you're talking about 900 dishes made in one night. So you learned about pressure. Oh, yeah. (laughs) A lot of pressure, a lot of speed, a lot of attention to detail, but in, in two totally different environments. In one restaurant, it was about getting out volume. And in the other one, it was about perfection. So mm. when you learn these two sort of polar opposite worlds at the same time, it's the perfect blend because that's really what you have to do in business. You have to be really freaking good at what you're doing. And you also have to move your ass. Wow. Okay. But, did, but this didn't cause you to fall in love with food and cooking. It caused you to fall in love with something else, how people were looking in the kitchen. Did you ever go to the chef and say... I love the food. I don't like what I'm wearing. <laughs> how, did, how did that happen? Yes, I was quite vocal about it. And it's funny because in the restaurant, everybody's kind of a little bit more, you know, serious, more proper. And I was like loud and rowdy sure. and always talking about everything with everyone. I definitely didn't seem like I fit in, but I loved food like everybody else. And I think it it took some chutzpah and courage to take the leap and go to this other side, which was really becoming a designer and yeah. somebody that wanted to take care of this big giant problem that we all had, which was terrible uniforms. And and, and let's go back because uniforms, uniforms in kitchens are they're delivered by vans. They're they're they go out the back in giant garbage bags and they come back over starched, right? Yeah, paper thin. I put them in line with like you know, you're basically having them clean with the welcome mat, right? Like they're taking the welcome mat and the clothes that you wear out of the kitchen, cleaning and bringing them back. Yeah, you know more than I than I thought you did about this. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I had a roommate who was the he was the delivery guy of the van. That's the only reason I know. Oh, I can't, amazing! Can't you're like I knew the van guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know it from the van, the, from the van's perspective. But if you really are, cre- you know, if you were creating beautiful food and beautiful experiences for people. You want to feel good. You want to feel comfortable and you want to look good. And you saw that as a problem. So I'm convinced every entrepreneur sees a problem. How did that problem, though, get into your bones? I mean, why were you just like, this is, this has to stop now? You know, I believe that we all proceed through life and feel those feelings in our bones. And sometimes you're willing to feel them and other times you ignore them. Mm. At that moment in my life, I had done enough 
adventurous things and had gotten a sort of notches on my confidence belt, if you will. Yeah, you talk about it in the book. Yeah, that I felt like I could take this sort of leap and do something about this issue that I was having. And, and, you know, I also, I run, I've run a lot of marathons before. And when I first started running, I got myself a great outfit from Nike and I was like, okay, I'm officially a runner. And it was all very (laughs) mental in a way. Yeah, Yeah. but like it convinced me. And I believe a uniform is that same sort of feeling. So by doing this to the kitchen, you had everybody from a professional chef to a line cook showing up with a little bit more pep in their step because they had Mm. a better garment. But I knew that I needed to create that because it didn't exist. So it was a very simple idea. And let me tell you, a lot of people were like, that's really cute. Good luck with your cute apron idea because people think of aprons and they think of grandmas or think they think of aprons and they think of ruffles. And that's not what we're doing here. We're making inspiring gear that makes people look good and cook better because of it. Cause you're like showing up with gusto and it, and it was a very grassroots operation. Like my God, me out of my house with $300 is how it all began. But there is something special about a person who, looks around in the kitchen and says, everybody's always worn these baggy black and white pants and a white smock or whatever in the same hat. You go into every restaurant, it's the same. And it doesn't have to be this way. I mean, you you saw a hole in the market that nobody else noticed that was obvious. I mean, it was just absolutely yeah. obvious. And did you did you see a financial opportunity or was it a creative opportunity or was it both? It was very much a creative excitement moment for me more than, oh, I'm going to go and make a multi-million dollar company. I just felt like anything that I love, if I'm going to do a good job at it, the money is a byproduct of it. It's Mm. not the end all be all. And as an entrepreneur, if money is first always, like good luck getting through the shit storms ahead. Yeah, no kidding, right? No amount of money is worth it if you are not passionate about whatever the hell you're doing. Right. And it is a very hard journey that I've been on that I write about in the book, right? I'm very honest and raw about it because I think one too many business books are just like, and then we sold the company for a hundred million dollars. And you're like, how the hell did you hire the first person? What did you do? What was step three? And so I go through step zero to 10 to 50, you know, all of that. Can you walk us through some of them? You're in a kitchen. You know, you've got this idea. You want to change the way these people dress themselves. You got an idea for a fashion brand. Did you have any money? Did you have to go out and borrow money? Or how did you get the money to buy the the first, you know, whatever? <laughs> I did not have money. I I had three or three, $400. I think I say in the book, $500. And that might've been overzealous. I think it was more like $300. And I got my very first order. Wait, 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 you got, wait, back up. You, how'd you get an order? Did you put a, together a website and you get a name for your company or? No, dream first, details later. That's how I did it. Yeah. No, but what I did was I was working at these two restaurants, as I had told you. Uh-huh. And one of the chefs said to me, Hey, there's a girl, she's going to make us aprons. Would you like to buy one? And I was like, Oh my God, I have been wanting to do this. And now this opportunity just like dumped itself in front of me. I'm not going to just going to leave it there. So I said, chef, I have an apron company. And I like blurted it out faster than I had even really processed what I was saying. And, uh, he was like, you do, you cook, you're a line cook in my kitchen. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, I just started it. And I had, I'd been thinking about it. Right. Yeah, yeah, You started it. It's in your brain. It's there. It's in my head. 
<laughs> and uh, he was like, okay, okay. And, and I could tell he was a little annoyed that the other girl was going to take too long. So I was like, I'll do it in this turnaround. We'll work together. We'll make it amazing. Wow. Chef, I just like, trust me, this is going to be great. So I convinced him to give me this order right there on the spot. And so I had 40 aprons that I had to now deliver. And that is literally how the company began. Hey everybody, this is Dr. JJ Peterson and I am here to announce something so exciting. We are getting ready to launch a brand new weekly podcast on June 23rd called Marketing Made Simple. And guess what? Yours truly is the host. We believe that marketing should be easy and it should work. And we want your business to grow. So if you are looking to clarify your message and create effective marketing and grow your business, this is the podcast for you. Every week, we are going to give you a practical marketing tip that you can begin to immediately apply to your marketing and grow your business. And on top of that, every week, I'm going to be talking to a marketing expert that has firsthand experience implementing these tips. So if you are looking to clarify your message and create effective marketing and grow your business, this is the podcast for you. Make sure you subscribe to the Marketing Made Simple podcast so you don't miss out when we launch it on June 23rd. And now back to our conversation with Ellen Bennett, where she picks up with Don how she immediately got to work on the first order of 40 aprons, all while she had no idea how she was going to do it. I clocked out and I started running around the city trying to find like, who do I know that can help me make these aprons? And I'm, I'm half Mexican, half English. So thank goodness I speak Spanish. I called a bunch of people, found a guy and he's like, sure, come to my shop. His shop was his living room. And uh, I went there. He had a sewing machine. He's like, I can make these aprons for you. I went to downtown LA and I was cutting swatches of fabric. I took it to chef. I said, which swatch do you like? He's like, I like that one. I'm like, done. I made the, I took the fabric over to the guy. It was just so basic. And like, it was very yeah. elementary. And sometimes people overcomplicate things. And because I was willing to not get every single detail right, I was able to make that leap. And I'll tell you in a second, but I failed pretty miserably on that first leap. But it got me out of the house. It got me to that first step. And that made me so excited about what I was doing that like sheer passion alone got me to the next 10 steps because now I was hooked. I was like, oh my God, I have a customer. I'm going to deliver. This is exciting. And, and it was just like, I had to keep going from there. It was like a drug. You know, in story structure, we call that an inciting incident. And an inciting incident, you know, for instance, like um, if you want to lose 20 pounds, you can't look in the mirror and say, I want to lose 20 pounds. You actually have to say, I'm going to sign up for a marathon and I'm going to put a thousand dollars on the table, and if I don't finish the marathon, the thousand dollars has to be given to the the political party that I hate the most, <laughs> you know, or whatever. There's like some there's something, something that's going to force you. Something horrible to happen. <laughs> God forbid. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you take the order and you don't have a company, and that's called an inciting incident. And I think there's a lot of people they have the idea, but because they don't 
you know, execute on the inciting incident, it never gets done because they prepare and prepare and prepare for the rest of their life until they're dead. That's right. I love the idea of dream first, details later. You've got an, an example in the book uh, that talks about what you have and what you didn't have. Yes. And you actually create a list of here's what I've got going for me and here's what I've got working against me. Yep. And without knowing it, by the way, you just also entered into narrative structure. Because you have, there have to be things that work against you in order for the story to be exciting. If everything is going your way, it's boring. That's right. But walk me through like the I had and I didn't have list and why that was so important for you. Yeah. So for everybody listening that can't see this, just know that the interior of the book is extraordinarily colorful. This is basically the most colorful <laughs> business book that uh, Penguin Random House has ever released, I think, to date. So I broke it down by, as you said, I had and I didn't have. And I did this because people can adapt themselves to be a little more resourceful than they think they can. And it takes a crisis or maybe some big situation in your life for you to become more resourceful. And then boom, next thing you know, you're doing more with less. And that is a gift because when you have endless resources, you kind of mm. have so many options and you could get analysis paralysis because you the world's your oyster, right? So I had a limited amount of things. I did not have a four-year degree, a business plan, money, loans, investors, an MBA, a trust fund, experience designing or manufacturing. Uh, I didn't even have experience working at a traditional company. I'd only worked at restaurants. What I did have, though, was a purpose, a North Star. As I told you at the beginning, I wanted to make people look and feel better in the kitchen. This was not just like, I want to go make money. This was, I want to change the way people feel in a kitchen. That If you think about it on a global scale, that's a big deal. There's a billions of yeah. people that are working oh, yeah. in restaurants, like in the food service industry. In it one is capital. blue ocean. Yeah, yeah, total blue ocean opportunity. Yep. So that was huge for me. I had chutzpah, grit. I was working three jobs, so I knew how to multitask. I had a noggin for problem solving. Okay, according to the book, $500 in savings. A strong Mexican <laughs> mama and who taught me how to get it done despite zero resources growing up. Humble enthusiasm and a willingness to fail. And I was being my cheerleader all the time, my own cheerleader. So instead of looking at it as I have no money, I know nobody, I actually listed out all these things that I had in my life that weren't physical. They were all kind of mental in how I was showing up and they were experience-based. I'd bet on you. If I looked at the had and, and didn't have, I'd bet on you every time. <laughs> it's, you know, especially the willingness to fail. Yep. And, and grit and work ethic. I'm looking at the list right now. The courage to stare errors in the eye. Oh, gosh. They don't teach this at Harvard. Can you look at what happened and be willing to own what you messed up on and do it better next time? Are you willing to have the egoless moment to say, that was on me. I can do that better. Actually, I should have approached it in this way. Let me try that again. That is where you learn the most. And when people leave those opportunities on the table, they're screwing themselves. Because that is the most valuable moment. And the best and most successful entrepreneurs I know are people that are like, they're like cockroaches. Yet nothing kills them because they mess up, they get back up. They're bleeding, they get back up. They get shot in the leg, they get back up. Like They also forget. They forget they had a failure yesterday. That's right. That's right. They can't even remember. All they remember are what they learned. They don't remember 
they're like, oh no, what? they look back and go, oh, that was easy. Are you kidding me? You're you're missing an arm and a leg. Yeah. <laughs> that was not easy. Exactly. When did you know this thing was going to work and you had a good company on your hand? You know, every day that I show up and put another brick on the wall, I'm like, yeah, all right, yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be that much better. It's going to be that much better, but I never actually think we've made it. And I do that on purpose mm. because if you ever start sitting on your laurels and just feeling like, oh, we're here, you start to get a little sloppy. You get a little complacent, you get a little comfortable. And there's a line in the book that I, that really resonates with me of, when you get somewhere, get to the next somewhere and never stop going. And it's that mm. idea of like life is about perpetual growth and, and expansion in one way or another. And, and you should never just like pause at it. Yes, you can finish things and say, okay, maybe I'm done with this business. I'm going to go do something else. But the truth is I, I'm never complacent about it. Therefore, I'm always looking at the next highest mountain and like, how can we keep it growing, keep it going, which is how the company has grown so much. Uh, but I, I mean, I would say early on when I was getting these really incredible chefs to keep calling me back, there was an inkling of this is this is working, like, like to have Martha Stewart pull me aside and say, hey, we're going to outfit all of my Macy's cafes in your aprons. Or David Chang say, we're now going to make all the Momofuku restaurants wear it. Or Shake Shack calling me and saying, we love your stuff. What do we need to do to wear it? Like these are huge companies and huge entrepreneurs. And I was just a one man band, 25 year old line cook making $10 an hour out of my house. Uh, You you know, so like doing this out of my house and with a sewer in Compton, like it was, it was a, you know, hairy beginning. (laughs) There's so many life lessons in that. You literally just reminded me of like, how often does Ellen Bennett feel like I'm in, I'm in the deep end right now. Do you live there or do you go, I need to go back and touch, and then I'm going to swim back out of the deep, and then I need to go back and touch. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. How often do you feel like, I'm in so freaking over my head right now, Oh. And, or do you live there, or do you do you try not to live there? I lived there for a long time. The first uh, six, yeah. six years of Headley and Bennett, I, leave, I lived in the deep end, surrounded by sharks, and like, you know, flying piranhas <laughs> yeah. in the air, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at your team and make sure that everyone's not just getting burnt out because everyone's trying to run behind you. And that really shifted me pretty tremendously. And it took some time. I I hired an executive coach and there's a whole chapter in that, in the book where I talk about, you got to get off the bike to fix the bike. And so there was, there was quite a lot of getting off the bike parts, which was very uh, foreign to me because I was so used to just running at, you know, max capacity the entire time till the tires were falling off the freaking, yeah. the, the rubber was coming off the wheels. Well, and the truth is you, you, you set out to make aprons and change the way fashion worked inside of corporations. You, you didn't set out to start or work on a business. And what, what a lot of people have to discover is they have to become the other person too. They have to be the artist when it comes to making aprons. And then they have to become literally the artist you know, if you approach business like an art, it's going to go really well for you, I think. Yeah. Uh, with that same sort of creative passion. All right. We don't have a whole lot of time, but you exude confidence. And if there's a, a deliverable in this book, it's it. this book is going to help you find your confidence. Can you talk to me about what you talk about in the book? That is your confidence belt and how you build up your confidence belt. The way that I believe people can gain confidence is it's pretty straightforward. It's like a savings account. 
You got to deposit into it. You got to show up and do things that are a little out of your comfort zone. When you make it to the other side, boom, that's a coin that goes into your, into your savings account, AKA confidence belt, uh, showing up to somewhere that you're nervous about asking somebody out on a date. All these things are little, little moments in your life where you are getting better at said thing. And they all accumulate into the feeling that you can do things. And so ever since I was fairly young, I've been doing things that are a little uncomfortable and doing them anyway. And it's just allowed me to stretch my mental muscles and they just don't stretch back down. They kind of stay that Mm. way. You get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I got my job at Providence, the two Michelin star restaurant through walking through the back door and asking for the job in person versus sending an email. That's uncomfortable. I moved to Mexico city when I was 18 by myself. That's uncomfortable. My parents got divorced when I was nine and I basically became my mom's sort of quasi husband and helped her pay bills and do the bills and walk my sister to school and raised her as like a 12 year old. That's uncomfortable. But all of those things that were uncomfortable taught me how to do other things. And I just took my downfalls in life, you could call them, and made made something great out of them and used them as my own ammo to show up in life. So it's it's about like looking at all these experiences we all have, good and bad, and seeing the light in it and being like, all right, cool. Yeah, I had a horrible divorce or I got, you know, this and that happened to me. What am how am I going to be stronger because of that? What can I use to make myself stronger? Because that happened to me and not to other people. And for everybody out there thinking about it, noodling on things, noodling on ideas, this is your shot. This is the time. There's never been a bigger reset in our lives than now. So take those leaps. Stop thinking about it. Stop overthinking it. Just start and be willing to fail along the way. Life is beautiful. You got to show up and make it happen. And you guys can all follow us on uh, Ellen Marie Bennett on Instagram and Headley and Bennett as well. And go to our website, headleyandbennett.com. And you can get your book signed there and get some sweet aprons and kitchen gear. Ellen, wonderful. Thanks so much. Ellen Bennett, what a fantastic conversation. Inspirational. I found myself thinking, and I'm sure you did too, during that interview, man, I would invest in her. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when she went through the stuff that she doesn't have, like she doesn't have the degree, she doesn't have the rich friends, she doesn't have this, she doesn't have that. Reasons to not bet on her, and then she went through the reasons to bet on her. Uh, I'd bet on her. I'd bet on her every time. One of the questions that I would ask, and I've only, I've not invested in a bunch of companies, I've invested in a few of them. Uh, one of the questions that that I would ask if I were a venture capital uh, fund is I would walk into the room and say, who in this room is pacing the floor at 3 a.m. when something's not going right? That's the number one question. And I think what you're really looking for is you're looking for that um, that unbelievable passion that you have that this thing is not going to die on my watch, period that it is their vision, it is their baby, their identity is wrapped up in it. It just can't fail. And I think if you've got that and you've got a good idea and all the other metrics look good, uh, I think you got a good shot at making a good return on your investment. And that person has a good shot of owning a really great company. That's what I kept seeing in Ellen. I kept seeing this, this thing isn't going to die. 
the charisma of the founder, the charisma of the leader will take you a long way. It'll cover a multitude of sins. It'll cover up for a multitude of mistakes, which Ellen has made, I've made. But what you're really looking for is, I'm not going to let this thing die. And if you're listening to this interview and you want to start a company, you want to bring a vision to life, impulsively, compulsively, you are pacing the living room floor at 3 a.m. trying to figure out a problem. Keep going. Keep going. Because it's going to work. Just keep going. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week here on the Business Made Simple Podcast. It can seem like the whole job of an entrepreneur is to worry, which is why the Business Made Simple Podcast is here for you every week, taking the mystery out of growing your business. So if you got something out of today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Then go to businessmadesimple.com to see how our on-demand courses and live coaching events can give you the practical skills you need so you won't just sound like you understand business, you will actually know how a business works and how to grow it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.